it does seem like um, that there's so much suffering and struggle going on in people's lives, and there's always an aversion to share pain or even to name our grief sometimes. And yet, taking on this topic, the Book of Lamentations, pretty dark. Uh, for all these weeks of Lent, I didn't want us all to get depressed and just, you know, just despair. And so all of our worship, of course, is tinged with hope because every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection. We can't pretend like and don't want to pretend like it didn't happen. But you recall that the sermon series title, Love's Sorrow, is an acknowledgement that to love at all and to care at all uh, is to expose ourselves to the possibility of grief and loss and betrayal and brokenness and hurt. Anytime we put ourselves out there, that's the risk. But life, we're not really alive unless we're loving. Love's sorrow is what we're going to explore all season long, all year long, I should say, all of 2018. We're going to be dealing with the overarching theme, come see what love can do. But we have to be honest, if we're going to come see what God's love can do and loving one another can do, that there's going to be hurt and pain. So it's a tough topic, but we have to be honest. We have to be real and transparent about our own suffering and struggle. And on successive weeks, we'll be thinking about how we can grieve our sin and shame, how we can grieve the brokenness of our world, how we ought to grieve the multiple losses that pile up in our lives, all, all kinds of losses, um, how we look at Christ's suffering, how we deal with spiritual growth in the midst of suffering, and we'll explore all those things. But my plea for each of us is that we would be honest with ourselves and with God and with others, and let's just get real and take off the masks and uh, acknowledge our sorrow and our grief. So in a moment, I'm going to be reading from Lamentations, the first chapter, the first 12 verses, and then verse 16, if you want to have your Bibles open to Lamentations 1. Would you pray with me as we bow for just a moment? Gracious God, in this special season, we are aware of our own sin and shame. We're also aware that you have power to save, and through Jesus Christ, we know victory and deliverance, so we thank you for that good news. But in the midst of the struggle, God, we grieve. We grieve the gun violence, which has once again taken precious children from us. We pray for the families in Florida, so deeply impacted for that community, for that school. But we also grieve the losses that we acknowledge here closer to home, the death of loved ones, the end of relationships, the end of dreams, old chapters that have to be closed as new chapters begin. We pray for those who are ill today, for those who are uh, dealing with private pain that they can't even say out loud. We remember today to pray for our armed forces everywhere in the world. We pray for peace in the world. We pray, dear God, that you might Bless our mission partners everywhere in the world today. And God, we ask you now to work as we open our hearts to the truth of Scripture, that we may be in your presence very honestly, very humbly, and waiting for you to do a new work and teach us more about grieving and about sorrow 
and about hope and about newness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, Lamentations chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, and then verse 16. If you're able, would you stand, please, as I read aloud from God's word. How lonely sits the city that once was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She that was great among the nations. She that was a princess among the provinces has become a vassal. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has no one to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile with suffering and hard servitude. She lives now among the nations and finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to the festivals. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan. Her young girls grieve, and her lot is bitter. Her foes have become the masters. Her enemies prosper, because the Lord has made her suffer for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From daughter Zion has departed all her majesty, Her princes have become like stags that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers in days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was no one to help her, the foe looked on mocking over her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously, so she has become a mockery. All who honored her despise her, For they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Her downfall was appalling, with none to comfort her. O Lord, look at my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Enemies have stretched out their hands over all her precious things. She has even seen the nations invade her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see how worthless I have become. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which has brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears. For a comforter is far from me, one to revive my courage. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I know of a young lady who lives in the Kansas City area who is the mother of twins under the age of two. This young lady mother of such young twins is expecting another baby and she's had nothing but morning sickness and misery and she's prayed and prayed and asked God to help her to take it away and and she's been very discouraged and she said finally when she felt good enough to go to church they sang it is well with my soul and she said I refuse to sing because it's not well with my soul 
And, you know, I think there was a day in my life in ministry where I would have poo-pooed her and lectured her about trusting God and having more faith. And in this instance, I just listened because tragically, there's, there seems to be so little room in our theology for lament and grief and sorrow and struggle. There seems to be so little space in our worship or in our spiritual growth exercises to acknowledge loss and pain and anger and frustration. And yet, someone who has bothered to count says that of the 150 psalms in our book of psalms, 40% of the verses are lament, grief, expressing sorrow and anger and a disruption of spirit, 40%. And, you know, I I got to thinking about our aversion to crying and tears and mourning. And if you stop and think about it, crying is the first task we ever accomplish when we're born. We're born crying. And if we're not born crying, it's a sign that life might be in danger. I mean, we're not born clapping our hands, praising God. Boy, this is a great day. We're born crying. Man, I'm tired of being cooped up for nine months in that small place and coming through a birth canal the size of a pencil. I'm not happy. I'm crying. I'm, I'm lamenting. I'm grieving. We enter this world crying. There's nothing wrong with crying. It's real. The sad truth is most of us want less struggle and more snuggle. We really don't like the part of the spiritual life that is about pain and tragedy and loss. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to come to terms with it. We think if we don't talk about it, it will go away. We just want the snuggle parts, all the the warm fuzzies about God taking care of us and making everything okay. But both realities are in Scripture and both are true. And uh, when we face tragedies, we have some choices. We can deny the tragedies, Just don't talk about them. Shh. They're not real. This pain in my life, this sorrow in my life, shh. Just don't acknowledge it and maybe it will go away, but it never goes away until we name it. We can deny it or here's a famous thing that's happening a lot in our nation today. We can just blame somebody else. Just stay angry at other people. That'll divert you from your own grief work. And the third option is to engage, to engage God, to engage the pain, to name it, to sit with it, and let God work with us through it. And that's what this sermon series is all about. When I was growing up uh, in a wonderful little Baptist church, uh, going to revivals and church camps, we sang the old chorus a lot. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Love that song love the theology, love the sweet sentiment of it, but it's just not true. Not every day is sweeter than the day before. Not every month is sweeter than the month before. Not every season of our life is sweeter than the season before. Sometimes it's just a painful, hard time. And God is wise enough to provide a biblical corrective to our cheerleading theology to our rah-rah spirit glossing over real pain. 
So the book of Lamentations is intended as a corrective, an entire book of the Bible dedicated to crying and expressing our sorrow for things that are broken in our world. The book of Lamentations, uh, one Bible commentator wrote, is the most tragic book in the Bible because it deals with real pain of Israel, Israel, Judah. Israel already collapsed, but Israel, Judah's final fall carried away captive by the nation Babylon. You can read about it in quick summary fashion in 2 Kings 25 when you get home today. It was awful. The enemy army invaded, started killing women and children and elderly. They invaded the temple. They desecrated it. They salted the fields so that the ragtag band that left, was left behind would have no harvest and wouldn't be able to, to have crops for a long time. They took away the healthy and the strong. They left just the remnant. And when they, took, when they captured the king of Judah... Right before they poked his eyes out, they slaughtered his sons in front of him so that the last thing he ever saw was the execution of his own children. Then they gouged his eyes out. It was real sorrow, emotional, spiritual, physical. It was the destruction of all their dreams. And so much to teach us. And so Israel Judah found herself reflecting on this and grieving her own sin and her own shame. That's our topic this morning. First of all, grieving her sins. In verse 5 of the text I read, Her foes have become the masters because the Lord has made her suffer for the multitude of her sins. Verse 8, Jerusalem sinned grievously. The first thing that has to happen is that we have to name and acknowledge our sins. We have to be able to say what God already knows. We have to take responsibility for our own poor choices. That's the only way we can really repent. That's the only way we can really experience Christ's new life is to be honest and to take that responsibility. It's not somebody else's fault. It's our choices. But I would be unfaithful to the text this morning if I only talked about private individual sins. The acknowledgement in Lamentations 1 that is taking place is the grieving of national sins, the sins of the nation. And I can't help but think that so much that's wrong with our country today in terms of our spirit is that we've never come to grips with really grieving our sins nationally. The way we treated Native Americans, the way we treated Africans as we brought them over here and enslaved them in what's been called America's original sin. And that that struggle for equality now that continues and the gun violence and I'm I'm not going to get into the politics I'm smarter than that but for heaven's sake literally for heaven's sake can't the richest 
most advanced country in the world get past the stuff of politics and find a way to save the lives of children. I mean, and it begins with grieving their deaths, grieving these national sins. So we have to be transparent and say, we're flawed, we're broken, we're sinful. But Israel Judah was also honest enough to lament and grieve her shame. There's a shame that goes with sinful behavior. There's an embarrassment that goes with our poor choices. But I want to remind you that shame is not always about what we've done wrong. Sometimes shame is about what people have done to us. You'll notice the graphic for this sermon series is somebody else tearing the heart apart. And sometimes, you know, whether it's sexual assault or abandonment or some other injustice, we experience shame not for what we've done but for what people have done to us. It's the human psyche, the human spirit is strange. We, we experience shame because of what others have done to us. And we can read about that in verse 8 where the people of God are like someone who's been stripped of clothing and standing there naked in, in the public square as everyone scoffs and laughs. That's the ultimate public shame, to be stripped of clothing and to be naked to be derided and to be shamed. And again, I can think of national shame. I I think about what war does to our human spirit. You know, there's a lot that's written about casualties of war, soldiers who die or are injured physically, but the injury to the human spirit is just something that we're beginning to come to grips with. Mental health experts are beginning to recognize that many Vietnam veterans who were able to come back and somehow tamp down their hurt from the war as long as they were in the workforce and staying busy. But there's been this flood of need for counseling as so many veterans are retiring and now have in the empty space of time, their pain is coming back to them. And experts are beginning to talk not just about PTSD, but about moral injury. What happens to the human spirit because of what people are asked to do in war? And sometimes the shame is so visceral, so real, and it can't be healed until it's named. Named before God. Now, this is a huge topic, this whole business of grieving our sin and shame. And, and I can't, there's no way we can get our minds and my words around this, this huge topic this morning or four or five Sundays or whatever. But I want us to work together. And this morning, I'm going to give you a take-home test. I want to give you three things that we can work on related to our mourning, related to our grief and our sorrow. And the first is that we get honest with God. 
We get honest with God about our own sins, personally and nationally. We get honest with God about our shame, whether it's something that we brought on ourselves or someone imposed upon us. We name it, and then we get it under the flowing river of Jesus Christ's forgiveness. We, we let it be washed away by the riches of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. We don't have to live that place anymore because Jesus bore all of our suffering. Scripture says he carried within his own body all the suffering of the world. So get honest with God. Get real with God. Stop playing games. And here's a second one. Let's grow our compassion muscle. See, we automatically think in lamentations the sorrow of sin and shame. We automatically think of ourselves. But what about other people around us? How could this book of the Bible sensitize us to the pain and brokenness and suffering around us? And we need to, we need to grow our compassion muscle. And here's what I mean by that. This coming week, this is your assignment now. When you encounter someone who is obnoxious or difficult to get along with or difficult to understand, this week when you encounter someone whose moral standards don't measure up to yours, instead of judging that person, why not silently say to yourself, There must be a lot of pain going on in that person's life for that kind of behavior to take place. I wonder what kind of hurt that person is dealing with. During this year when we want to come see what love can do, what if we had a motto, less judging, more mercy. Less judging more mercy. Why don't you say that out loud with me? Less judging, more mercy. See, we all need to grow our compassion muscles as we deal with our own stuff and we help others. And here's the third one. Ask yourself, what needs fixing in my world? See, the world for the Israelites had crumbled, but courageous people like Ezra and Nehemiah And other latter prophets rose up to say, we can grow from this pain. Now, if you don't take care of numbers one and two, you'll never get to number three. Because numbers one and two will begin to clarify for you what it is that needs rebuilding in your world and what God wants to do in your your world through you. What's more, if we are honestly taking care of numbers one and two, getting honest with God and growing our compassion muscle, our witness will have more authenticity. Our witness for Christ will be more genuine and be more accepted because we've done one and two. And then you see, we'll be ready to effectively share Christ's compassion and God will use us to build our part of the world that needs rebuilding from the ashes of all this pain and loss. I want to show you a great quote by Walter Brueggemann, who is a great uh, Old Testament scholar. The prophetic tasks of the church are three things, he says. To tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion. 
to grieve in a society that practices denial and express hope in a society that lives in despair. Didn't he just say it all? Three things. To tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion. Grieve in a society that just keeps denying, tamping it down, pretending like the pain's not there, and then expressing hope in a society that's nearly drowning in despair. Through Jesus Christ, a living, suffering Savior, we can do this. We can do this. Let's pray together. Open our hearts, O God, to the power of the gospel. Open our hearts, O God, to the honest struggle that is before us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.